Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora tālo falawa and welcome to Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower bonus episode. Joining me once again is Saab Jahao, clinical psychologist. Kia ora, James. How are you today? I'm uh, very good, actually. It's, uh, I wanted to, considering uh, that I wanted to talk to you about uh, bigotry. That's probably why I'm in such a, a great mood. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I want to talk about um, bigotry uh, to young people. Uh, and I'm thinking it's sort of adolescents and kids um, as much as, as teenagers, but really those formative young years, because I think when when a lot of people think about that kind of bigotry, they'll often think about um, a person, you know, uh, shouting in a shop at a child or, in a, in a, you know, there's normally a shouting uh, high energy thing going on, but we don't necessarily talk about low energy racism. Um, you know, the, the real casual, uh, almost not even thinking about it kind of, of racism and the, the psychological effects that that has uh, on people, you know, I, I remember growing up in high school. Uh, I, I, I infamously had uh, parents telling their kids not to play with me um, because I was the only brown kid on the athletics team, and uh, they thought my people did voodoo. And to them, that was a very natural sentence to come out, uh, and to me, it was incredibly confusing. Uh, and then once I figured out what they were talking about it was it was quite hurtful uh, and I, I'm, I'm wondering what are you know what are, what are some things that people don't realize about the psychological effect of those things yeah I mean that's really curious I, I'm sorry that happened to you but you know I, what what you've revealed there is a little bit around the realization that happens later on in life when you mm. go back over conversations and you say oh Oh, really? Is that is that what they were <laughs> yeah. thinking? Right. Um, but, you know, kind of like it washes over you at the time. So let's start off with the shouting stuff. Right. Mm. So, yeah, there's there's definitely lots of evidence that, you know, uh, even when, you know, minority children might live in wealthy areas, right, mm. where you wouldn't necessarily see that happening because, you know, often it's like, oh, well, you know, this happens in poorer areas. You know, sometimes, you know, if you are the brown kid in a, in a white neighborhood, say, um, research shows that often they're treated differently. You know, it might be that they're more likely to be punished by teachers for mm. minor infractions because somehow it's seen as willful, you know, rather than, you know, other kids maybe don't get punished in that way. Or they're less, less likely to be identified as having um, special educational needs because it's assumed that, you know, for some reason, some of racial origin, that they're just not capable. Mm. Or um, teachers may underestimate their abilities and they don't end up getting the opportunities perhaps that other kids get. And, you know, these things really matter because when a teacher doesn't believe in you, when, a, when somebody in your community doesn't believe in you, then you're less likely to believe in yourself too. 
And then, you know, couple that with the, you know, the sorts of internalization that, uh, the, the sort of internalization that happens, which is really harmful when we see our elders, our parents being treated in ways that are really racist and disrespectful, you know, and it may not be race, it may be gender or sexuality, uh, all these different ways that people are treated with bigotry, disrespect, prejudice, people, children can really internalize those harmful stereotypes. And over time, experiencing or witnessing that discrimination can really negatively impact a child's identity or self-esteem. And it's only perhaps later on when they are able to distance themselves away from that environment or develop language or are exposed to different ways of thinking, are they able to start to deconstruct and figure out where has that come from? Where my ideas come from? This kind of decolonizing mm. of your own self because you've been brought up and exposed to those, um, those harmful messages for so long that you don't actually see it. I'm thinking for listeners who might not know that term, decolonizing, or, or who might find it um, an abrasive term. Mm. Uh, to, to hear... Um, can you maybe just explain what that means in, in terms of a mindset? In terms of, because I think that, you know, when they think decolonizing, they think, oh, they're, they're going to be outside parliament with a flag marching. But actually, we're talking about a psychological process. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you an example. Of, I remember when I first went to university, um, I was um, uh, seriously set a task of having a discussion around why the Indians benefited from the railway system uh, <laughs> that the British had put in. And I was expected to kind of defend this. And I remember having this like absolute eruption internally, but feeling really conflicted around, I know this is wrong, that I'm being, being put in this position. And I know, I'm, I feel like I'm being deliberately being put in this position, but I can't articulate it. Mm. And because, you know, India has a, a, you know, this history of partition and colonization, a lot of that I knew, but I wasn't able to articulate how it had affected me and my own identity, and how it is that I related to the world and um, what, what my aspirations might be and how it is that I treated perhaps other people too. And so I think that decolonization is really an awareness of growing up in a system which may be stacked against you. Now, maybe not so explicitly for, you know, I was in university and you know, I had opportunities, but implicitly there is an assumption there that I should be grateful to have mm. these opportunities, which perhaps isn't made with people who came from a different background for me you know there's all kinds of things of class that also get mapped onto that as well but decolonizing is kind of developing this awareness of perhaps the system favors some people rather than than others and as i say it's not just about race often it's about mm. class and money and privilege that's uh, wrapped up in that too and, and I, I think that that term uh internal eruption I think that's, you know, and, and you pair it with the aren't you lucky narrative, which uh, many people uh, of different backgrounds have had thrown at them when they find themselves um, coming up in the world. Uh, what, what are some things that people can do? Because the internal eruption is not necessarily the wrong response, mm. but it can lead you to, um, to publicly um, display things which can be detrimental and which can cause stress 
in your life mm-hmm. further down the track. So what are some things that people can do to filter those internal eruptions? I sabotaged myself in my own example. I ended up not not attending that class because I found it so aversive and I ended up failing the course. Um, yeah, I, because... I'll be honest, I've, I've really screwed up a couple of times. And just, <laughs> but I don't care. This yeah. is for the culture. Uh, so maybe we're not the best people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that one of the things that, you know, I've thought about is really, you know, being part of it is around emotional regulation and the skills that we have to develop when mm. we c- encounter those situations of being able to take a breath, recognizing the injustice, but there's nothing that we can particularly do about that in this moment in time to correct that. You know, mm. these things are far bigger than us as individuals. So connecting with others is, is one really good way of thinking about, well, how is it that I can protect myself and look after myself in this situation? But also exposing yourself to much more positive messages about your own cultural history, your values, and that can really provide a powerful buffer against experiences of racism in the here and now when you don't necessarily go to the loss narrative of what you may have not been able to access, but also Mm. thinking about, well, where are the more positive stories around what my identity is? Because this is really about a clash of, identities uh, Mm. and being of one identity but being living in another and then suddenly a realization of of that the the playing field may not be as level as you thought it was and hey i just want to um do some work on the the other side of that as well is that sometimes those eruptions are actually the correct response Mm. um but then afterwards you have self-doubt you know, what, for people who, are, who have those eruptions and they come out and they do storm out of the class or they do, you know, end up screaming at the boss or something, what, what are some things that people can do to, to make peace with their actions? Mm-hmm. Well, knowing that it's coming hopefully from a good place and it's also an awakening, sometimes it could signal that there is something going on here which may be a mystery to you. You know, mm. And I, I remember that in the early days for me, I remember not really coming to terms or really even an awareness of why I was feeling like this until well into my 20s, maybe mm. my late 20s. And it's still something I wrestle with now. But being able to develop not necessarily a, a, a sense of um, pride in that in that response, but knowing that it's coming from somewhere deep inside, which requires some examination, but also giving yourself the time and the space to be able to explore that part of you mm. that is telling you that it's been neglected and it's feeling somehow uh, uh I'm trying to think of trespassed against, you know, mm. there, there, there's something here that's, that's gone into your identity, which is exposed something that might be fractured. And mm. so really being vulnerable and taking care of yourself in that moment, you know, as well as kind of expressing the anger and the sense of injustice in appropriate ways. And if it doesn't come out appropriately, then, you know, making yourself safe and other people feel not necessarily okay, but mm. not to a point where it's um, going to threaten um, your own well-being and your own future too. I just want to uh, finally talk about, you know, when we talk about pride and, and sense of self and all of this, the importance of role models on psychological development. You know, Samoans, we joke about the rock, you know, <laughs> as, as being Samoan Jesus and, and all of these platitudes. But I think what we, we skip around sometimes is that uh, for us, um, when we saw him, 
especially in the 90s when he first started, it was the straight back and the cockiness. Mm -hmm. When I think back on really, it was the way he was on the ropes, head to just the defiance and the uh, self-assurance of him to to walk like that, uh, but still be playful and funny and performative. And it's it's a type of masculinity and it's a type of... uh, um, you know, physical being, but more than that, I always think it was the straight back and the unapologeticness that Pacific Islanders, I, I feel coming from the, the Samoan church, there was a, a natural humbleness uh, and, a, and a demeanor, a smallness of demeanor that we were expected to put forward. Mm. And what The Rock did was kind of help all of us feel a bit more comfortable being cocky and putting ourselves out there and, and having that. So, so what is the importance that role models um, uh, play in our psychological development? Mm, I think they're, they're incredibly important, but I think that, you know, how they map onto you and what you see in them, that also reflects you, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I have three little girls uh, and often I struggle uh, in terms of thinking about, you know, who are good role models for them? You know, Moana is an absolute gift as a movie in terms mm-hmm. of thinking about their identity as you know, um, complex multiple identities, but actually having something different to what had mm. ca- come on before because it's so immersed in, you know, this place uh, that we were lucky to live in. But, you know, that intersection of um, attitude that not only reinforces perhaps the best parts of you, but encourages you to expand and to become aware of other parts of self that you can then aspire to. So I think that there are, there, are, there are five different things that I think that we should think about when we're thinking about role, model, role models. And the first one is that ability to inspire and the passion that you see in them you know, for their work. And they have the capacity to infect other people with their passion too, right? So that's really important. It's that infectious capacity. The second is that clear set of values. They act in ways that support their beliefs and values, optimism, hope, determination, all of these things that are valued by you and perhaps the community you come from. But also the ability to overcome adversity. You know, this idea that, you know, it doesn't matter what comes up in my way, I am going to resolve to to have success, uh, even despite these obstacles that are that are in my way, and sometimes in spite of the obstacles that come in my in my way. Uh, the third one, the, the, the fourth one, I think, is this um, idea of selflessness and acceptance of others. So, role models see others' needs and they act on them um, to to assist, right? And then the the last one, I think, is this commitment to a wider community. It's not just about them or the relationship that they may have with you, but they encourage you to expand your horizon from the individual to connecting with a wider sense of sense, a sense of self and purpose as well with, with your wider world. I think that's incredibly important to, to move people from being self-focused to being community-focused. And that's often what role models can do is to move us away from that individualism. Clinical psychologist Sajahal, thank you very much. Kia ora, James. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. 
Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.